Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Thursday, November 5th, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, WhatsApp gets disappearing messages 10 years after Snapchat. A new entry-level ultra-lightweight drone from DJI. Productivity laptops are getting interesting designs a la gaming laptops. Ethereum 2.0 is coming. How and why Jack Ma pissed off the Chinese government. And the Xbox Series X reviews are in. Also, just when I came into the booth, the Justice Department announced it was suing to stop Visa from buying Plaid. Obviously, since it just happened, we'll have to talk about that tomorrow. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. WhatsApp now lets you post messages that disappear after a certain amount of time. These ephemeral messages can also be photos and videos, of course, and they'll disappear after seven days. This is rolling out on iOS and Android globally starting today, but that seven-day disappearing window maybe is not quite set in stone, quoting TechCrunch. We will keep an eye on feedback about how people are using it and liking it and see if it needs adjusting in the future, a spokesperson said. From now, we are starting with seven days because it feels like a nice balance between the utility you need for global text-based conversations and the feeling of things not sticking around forever, end quote. And just to be clear, the seven-day limit will exist regardless of whether the message gets read or not. The disappearing message clock starts counting when the message is sent, as it does on other apps like Telegram. Quote, the way it's currently designed is to give the sender confidence that after seven days their message is gone. The messages have no concept of being seen for them to disappear, so they will disappear regardless of read status, said the spokesperson. Users can turn on the feature for direct messages, but in groups, it's the admin that has to enable disappearing messages for it to work, end quote. Apparently, one of the reasons it took this long to copy Snapchat, I mean, add ephemerality, is because of WhatsApp's vaunted end-to-end encryption. So apparently, something else to note, E2E capabilities continue even with this new ephemeral feature. DJI has launched the $449 DJI Mini 2 Ultra Lightweight Drone with upgraded camera for 4K at 30 frames per second recording, OcuSync 2.0 with a 10-kilometer video transmission range, and claims of 31 minutes of actual flight time, quoting Slash Gear. The DJI Mini 2 builds upon the foundation laid by the Mavic Mini model, bringing with it enhancements that offer what DJI President Roger Lau says is larger drone performance in an approachable small design. The drone is targeted at beginners, among others who don't feel comfortable starting with a large drone. The drone's enhancements over the Mavic Mini include better imaging features, flight performance, and much better connectivity for more reliable transmissions over longer distances. In keeping with the beginner aspect of the drone, DJI has packed multiple pre-programmed modes into the Mini 2 for different shooting situations. Consumers can expect a maximum transmission range of around 6.2 miles, which is a huge 150% improvement over the Mavic Mini. As well, the motor's upgrade means the Mini 2 offers 31 minutes of flight time as well as faster speed 
speeds and the ability to handle winds up to 24 miles per hour. As expected, users will be able to view a live feed from the drone's camera on their smartphone. DJI has packed a number of imaging capabilities into this model, including pre-programmed modes and movements called quick shots. Those include things like helix, rocket, circle, droney, and boomerang, end quote. Might Fortnite be heading back to iOS sooner than we thought? Sources are telling the BBC that Fortnite might return via the Safari web browser thanks to a version of NVIDIA's GeForce game streaming service that might be able to run on web browsers. Quote, NVIDIA has developed a version of its GeForce cloud gaming service that runs in the mobile web browser Safari. Apple will not get a cut of virtual items sold within the Battle Royale fighting title if it's played this way. NVIDIA currently offers GeForce Now for Mac, Windows, Android, and Chromebook computers. It has not formally announced that it is bringing the service to iOS, but is expected to do so before the winter holidays. In theory, Apple mobile device owners will be able to play Fortnite via NVIDIA's service without charge. Both the game and GeForce Now's basic tier offer free access, although NVIDIA limits these sessions to one hour. It is unclear whether playing via the cloud will put players at a disadvantage. NVIDIA uses remote computer servers to process the player's commands and to generate graphics. Streaming the relevant data back and forth to the mobile devices introduces a very short delay. Winning or losing Fortnite's multiplayer battles can often come down to split-second decisions, so lag could be a problem." End quote. The crypto space continues to be unusually vibrant of late. Did you know that Ethereum 2.0 is set to launch? The Ethereum Foundation says it will do so on December 1 if enough validators are present on the network, quoting Decrypt. The blockchain upgrade, which moves the network toward a proof-of-stake consensus mechanism, will allow Ethereum holders to stake their coins to help run the network instead of mining blocks, as is currently the case. As long as there are 16,384 validators on the network, it will go live on December 1st at 12 p.m. UTC. Each validator will need to be staking 32 Ethereum, currently worth $12,700, for a total amount of $209 million. On the back of the announcement, the price of Ethereum spiked $15 from $383 to $398, up 3.9%. This starts to reverse a downward trend from a price of $417 that was seen earlier this month. As Decrypt reported earlier today, a tool was released yesterday that helps to generate keys required for Ethereum 2.0. This was seen as a precursor to the launch of the official specifications and was entitled, We Have a Go for Main Engine Start, end quote. Razer has unveiled Book 13, an interesting new productivity laptop with a 16 by 10 screen design, RGB keyboard, Intel's Iris G integrated graphics, and it's all available this month starting at $1,200, quoting Engadget. Gaming hardware makers have been diversifying their laptops recently, and Razer is the latest to join that trend. The company is announcing the Razer Book 13 today, which it's calling a hyper-focused productivity laptop. It's not just a subtler version of a Blade laptop either. The emphasis on productivity means Razer also strove to include a generous array of ports, as well as interesting lighting features that could help highlight keyboard shortcuts. The Book 13 is also the company's first Intel Evo certified notebook, meaning it meets certain requirements for performance, battery life, and wake time. As its name indicates, the Book 13 has a 13.4-inch IPS display that comes in a touch or non-touch configuration. 
If you opt for the matte non-touch version, you'll only get full HD plus resolution, while the touch models also come in UHD+. The touchscreens are also covered in Gorilla Glass for better durability, and you can add an anti-reflective coating to reduce glare. All configurations feature a 16 by 10 aspect ratio, which is new to Razer's family of laptops and lets you see more of the screen at once than older 16 by 9 devices. The Book 13 also houses a 720p webcam in its slim bezels, and it's Windows Hello capable. There isn't a fingerprint scanner here, though. That's understandable. Razer's already crammed a lot into the Book 13, which is impressive for a device that's just 0.6 inches thick and weighs 2.95 pounds. Plus, despite that sharp profile, the company managed to offer two Thunderbolt 4 USB-C ports, a USB-A socket at USB 3.2 speeds, a micro SD card reader, a 3.5 millimeter audio jack, and an HDMI 2.0 slot. The slim, lightweight package is something Razer fans are already accustomed to, and they'll also appreciate some other familiar features. The most prominent of these is the Razer Chroma integration, which allows users to customize the colors of individual buttons on the keyboard. You can set these to a rainbow theme if you wish, or use them to highlight shortcut-specific keys for programs like Photoshop, Premiere, or more. This way, Razer said, the lighting helps with productivity and isn't simply for a fun aesthetic." End quote. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I use this, and you should too. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee, so get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. 
Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride collide.com slash ride. All right, one more segment on the whole Ant Group's postponed IPO story, because I just find it so fascinating that after these recent years of trade wars, after the pushback from the U.S. against the rise of Chinese tech, it's odd to me that the Chinese government would choose to publicly and embarrassingly kneecap one of their biggest tech success stories. The Financial Times thinks it knows the reason why. Their sources say it was Jack Ma's criticism of regulators and state-owned banks in a recent speech that triggered the move by Chinese Communist Party leaders to limit Ant Group's power. Quote, From several perspectives, the suspension of a $37 billion share offering, the largest in history, appears to be an own goal for China. Ant's debut was due to mark the crowning glory of a homegrown financial technology or fintech champion. It was also expected to shore up confidence in Hong Kong after Beijing's imposition of a new security regime this year. Its listing in Shanghai and Hong Kong was intended to show that China no longer needs U.S. capital markets to finance its world-class corporations. Ant's significance was also set to be geopolitical. The company's IPO reinforced a broader narrative of China as a technological superpower, seizing the global initiative from the U.S., a symbol of Beijing's resistance to the pressure heaped upon it by the administration of Donald Trump. With the stakes so high, it took a lot for Beijing to pull the plug. Mr. Ma and other senior executives were called in by the regulators for a dressing down on Monday. But the motivations of China's leaders in scuppering the IPO derive mostly from calculations of political power and status, Chinese analysts and state bankers say. Mr. Ma may be one of China's richest men and its leading celebrity entrepreneur, but his staying public criticism of Beijing's governance in a speech in October was deemed unacceptable, they said. The Communist Party is pushing back, says Duncan Clark, author of the 2016 book Alibaba, the house that Jack Ma built. It is showing its disinclination to allow entrepreneurs out of their lane. Commerce is one thing, finance is clearly another. Jack has embraced the power of the internet to supercharge the private sector, but applying this chemistry to the financial sector is on another level, it seems, he adds. Mr. Ma's offending words were delivered in a speech to a high-level forum on October 24. He criticized China's regulators and accused its banks, most of which are state-owned, of having a, quote, pawn shop mentality that requires collateral and guarantees to extend credit. What the world's second largest economy really needs, he argued, is bold new players that can extend credit to the collateral poor. He went on to claim that innovative companies and individuals are often shunned by China's big financial groups. The speech by Ma in Shanghai suggests he wanted to openly challenge the regulator, which is unacceptable, says one senior executive at a major state-owned Chinese bank. That prompted the regulators to go ahead and announce the rules. The logic for Beijing is, if I don't understand you and can't control you, I won't let you grow, end quote. More broadly, the saga of Ant's IPO carries lessons both for investors who have embraced the opportunity that China presents and for others who seek to understand the changing nature of a rising power. Quote, right now, if a businessman makes money and keeps his head down and lays low, then it's fine, says Professor Chen. Otherwise, it's no good. Jack Ma stuck his head out a little too far. Hence the consequences, end quote. Also, I wanted to note real quick that Bloomberg says ByteDance is in talks with investors, including Sequoia, 
to raise more than $2 billion at a greater than $180 billion valuation. Quote, ByteDance could then start preparing some of its biggest assets, including Douyin and Tochao, for an initial public offering in Hong Kong, the people said. The company was last valued at $140 billion, according to CB Insights, end quote. So I'm bringing this up because remember, you know, when TikTok was going to be shut down because it was this huge national security threat, I guess that's over? Are people just reading the tea leaves of the presidential election? Or was all of this just much ado about nothing from the get-go? The Xbox Series X reviews are out, and I'm going to pick one review to be representative of the lot. Let's go with Tom Warren at The Verge. Tom says the Series X has good performance and impressive backward compatibility. 120 hertz mode makes for smooth gameplay. He loves the quick resume feature, but like everyone else, he kind of bemoans the lack of AAA games available at launch. Quote, Microsoft has built what feels like an exciting PC upgrade experience in a console form. The Xbox Series X comes the closest I've ever witnessed to recreating the superior PC experience of playing games thanks to SSD storage, a far more powerful CPU, 120Hz support, and impressive backward compatibility features that improve existing games. This is all inside a $499 box that's quieter and far easier to use and maintain than the $3,000 gaming PC I built a few weeks ago. Microsoft's intention with this new generation is to bring PC-like experience to a console. You can feel it throughout the Series X and even the smaller Series S. If you upgraded from a GTX 1060 gaming PC to an RTX 30 80 PC right now, you'd get the same Windows 10 you know and access to the same games you've been playing for years. Everything would just feel faster and look better, and you'd be ready for the latest and greatest games. That's exactly what you get with the Xbox Series X. Not only does it feel like you're upgrading your PC if you move from an Xbox One to an Xbox Series X, but it feels and looks like it. Hello, PC tower design. You take everything you already own, even existing hardware accessories, and you bring them along with you, just like you do on a PC. It's a different approach to Sony with the PS5 and its dedicated exclusive next-gen games, new dashboard UI, and new controller. Microsoft has focused on the basics that really matter. High frame rates, a quiet and cool console, faster load times, accessory support, and backward compatibility. In my three weeks of using an Xbox Series X, it's fair to say it has delivered on these basics. But the best part of the Xbox Series X is that it's not actually a PC. I don't have to worry about drivers, copious game launchers, or Windows updates ruining how my PC works. You turn the Xbox on, and you play games. If developers embrace the choice and performance options I've experienced on the Series X, I'd certainly be tempted to play far more on an Xbox with cross-play, cross-save, and keyboard and mouse support all becoming more prominent on Xbox. There's one big question that remains for me with the Xbox Series X. When will Microsoft's 23 first-party studios deliver the next-gen games to truly show what this console is capable of? Powerful hardware and a sleek user experience are only part of the mix. Microsoft will need the games to really make the Series X feel like something brand new, end quote. He name-checked the Series S there, the low-end Xbox that lacks an optical drive. And reviews are out for that today as well. We'll go with Jessica Condit's adding gadget. She says she likes the compact design of the Series S. It has good performance for what it is. The huge backward-compatible library is useful, even if it includes a lot of lower-quality games. And of course, you're not getting 4K gaming, and the limited storage on the device is a bit of a problem, but, quote, 
The Xbox Series S is undoubtedly the most adorable console of the next generation, even if its tiny size comes at a cost. It can't play games in 4K, doesn't have a disk drive, and has just 362 gigabytes of usable storage unless you buy a pricey expansion card. Quick resume, faster load times, and improved frame rates make this a solid next-gen console, but with slightly less staying power than the Series X. This is the question at the heart of the new console generation. Do you buy the all-digital edition and save some cash up front, or drop an extra hundred on a full, fat console with more storage space and power? If you're eager to get your hands on a console with smoother frame rates, rapid loading screens, and quick resume, the Series S gets the job done. However, if you want a console with longevity, the Series X is a better choice in terms of technical fidelity, the inclusion of disk drive, and storage capacity. Storage space is likely to become an issue for all Series S owners at some point, and games in the next gen are going to demand more power, not less. If it seems likely that you'll have to splurge for that Seagate expansion card on the Series S, it just makes more sense to get the big boy with all the storage built in. Of course, if what you really care about is the cute factor, then the Series S is the only option." End quote. Slight change of plans. The listener call-in episode will be delayed taping by one day. Instead of recording tonight, we will record at 9 p.m. Eastern Time tomorrow night, Friday night. Remember to go to the subreddit at r slash ride home and post some of the questions that you'd like to pose on the episode in the special posts that I made to collect those questions. But otherwise, even if you don't want to ask a question, join us tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. We'll talk tech and celebrate the end of a pretty stressful week. Zoom link is in the show notes once again. Talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.